Surprise, motherfuckers! It's Adam doing an impromptu, unscheduled, unannounced Coronas bonus! Yes, today's Thursday, April 23rd. It's a little after 1 o'clock in the East when I'm recording this. I will be releasing it instantly, as soon as I'm done recording it. Um, my reason for doing this is twofold. One, well, let's say threefold. One, I'm testing out my brand new Yeti microphone, the sound of which is so rich and delicious. I have headphones on. I can hear myself. It's like a whole new world. A whole new world. Thank you. Number two, um, I'm having a slow work day. And number three, I um, have referred many times on this show to the folder in which I keep all of my ridiculous news stories for this podcast. And... um, Over the past year, my folder had grown quite thick. It was thick, and it was wide, and it was hard. Oh, shit, someone's texting me. Uh, I have to keep my phone on in case work calls. But anyway, um, I have so many stories, so many stories that I've been meaning to do, and a lot of them are, like, evergreen. They're stories I could do any time, which is why I've saved them. Some of them are not evergreen, and I just should have done them months ago or a year ago, and I never did. But... They were good stories, so I held on to them. Um, by the way, I did this a couple days ago. I recorded an entire 30-minute Coronas bonus just like this with the same stories. And when I heard it back, I realized that the input level on my um, on my laptop had been down to zero. And so you could barely hear me. I seem to be doing a lot of re-recording of podcasts these days. And let me tell you, it is fun. I am loving this pandemic. Okay, so let's get to work. Um, Again, this is going to be about 30 minutes long, and these are just some fun stories that I've held on to that I want to get rid of. I want to clean out my folder. So this first one came from Queerty back on September 22nd, 2019. Back in the good old days when we could go outside without masks and have sex. Good stuff like that. Anyway, uh, this is called Gay Guys List the Grinder Profile Quotes That Turn Them Off. You know when you're on Grinder or Scruff and uh, people will write certain things. They appear, you know, commonly and they're annoying or they are turnoffs. Here are some of them, according to Queerty. Um, someone who writes, I want love, not just sex, but someone to make memories and spend my whole life with. And then when you message them, they go, hey, you down to fuck or what? I'm pretty sure that's what we call mixed signals. How about when someone writes quality guys only? Never mind the fact that quality is highly subjective, but you do you. Um, When someone writes, please respect my preferences. Queerty says, this is always a phrase used to mask ugly prejudices. Do not fucking at me. You're part of the problem if you do this. You can justify yourself all you want and go, well, don't you have preferences? Or you might write, it's just a dating app for sex. It's not that deep. But you're still propagating ugly prejudices, so that's that. Um, I don't really see this very often. I, you know, I tend to agree that that's probably what it means if people write that. Um, I will say, as I've said many times, that I have a strong preference for cut cock. And um, it is what it is. So I hope that you respect my preference. Uh, no pick, no reply. Now, to me, that's not annoying, except when they don't even have a pick of their own or when they refuse to send you picks. No pick, no reply. Or when they have no pick, 
not even a profile pic, and then they send you like three messages like, you're hot, wanna fuck? Come over right now. I live on 53rd Street. It's like, dude, I don't, I literally am talking to a, a blank screen. Like, who are you? Give me something. Um, when someone writes, not me on display profile, I'm sure there's a completely acceptable reason, completely acceptable reason why you'd use someone else's bare chest, arms, legs, instead of your own. I may have told, talked about this on the show before. I have a friend who is quite active on the hookup apps. It's not Scott or Ryan, just so you know. Um, and for years, he's been using the same dick pic, and it's not his dick. It's a dick that looks exactly like his dick that he just found years ago or that someone sent him, and he saved it. And I have asked him numerous times, if, if your dick looks like this, why don't you just send your own dick? Like... It's very easy to take photos nowadays. You can have thousands and thousands of digital photos in seconds. Uh, and he's like, no, I really like this picture, and it does look like my dick, and no one's ever complained that it wasn't when, they, when they've when they met me. So I just find that so interesting. Um, when someone writes, deleting soon. Bitch, please. <laughs> Usually it's someone who said that 18 months ago. Oh, shit. a long wait for my shade bell. Um, and then the last one is, I'm a bit shy. Message me. This seems super common on Tinder. And it's always with people, it's always people that one, cannot carry on a conversation or two, have absolutely no interest in meeting up. Guessing they just use the apps for validation, learn to just swipe left to save some time and effort. So that, those are the, what, what are they called? The, the grinder profile quotes that guys say turns them off. Um, I would say one of the most annoying, I, I, the most annoying one for me, and I'm only recently back on the apps. I've just been, you know, using them to chat during this quarantine because I'm so fucking bored and horny. Um, but I love when, you know, my profile, it's very clear that I say that I'm pause and undetectable. And I still get messages from guys whose profile says um, negative and looking for same clean only. It's like, first of all, fuck you for using the word clean to mean negative. Like, it's 2020. You need to move on from that. Um, but second of all, like, I'm not negative. So if you're looking for same, like, you're reaching out to the wrong person. And also, why? Why are you zero sorting? It doesn't work. You know, if you want to have unsafe sex, take prep. You're fine. End of story. Okay. Um, well, not end of story. Obviously, there are other STDs. But you know what I'm saying, listeners. You've heard me talk about this enough times. Okay, moving on. This is an excruciating story. Um, I don't even, this isn't even dated. Who knows where when this was from, but the headline is going to make you scream and wince and clutch your, your balls. So get ready. Man had three-inch tweezers stuck in urethra for four long years. Yes, it happened. A 22-year-old man in Saudi Arabia found himself in a pinch. He had a pair of three-inch tweezers stuck in his urethra. Even more cringe-inducing, the man had lived with the tweezers in his penis for four years. This was according to a report in the May issue of Urology Case Reports, which is my favorite periodical. Um, the patient became part of medical history when he decided to visit a clinic in Saudi Arabia to deal with this nagging tweezer issue. X-rays, and they actually show one uh, in the article, showed a long foreign body that was 
actually a metal forceps slightly more than three inches long stuck in the anterior urethra. The man amazingly denied having any urological symptoms, fevers, or chills, and he was able to pass urine normally. Um, once the tweezers were discovered, the patient had to be taken to the operating room and placed under general anesthesia. Now, here's where it gets even more horrifying. In order to keep the tweezers closed so they wouldn't open and rip the urethra, the surgeons had to squeeze them shut through, <laughs> through the man's penis. A procedure described in the report as an external pressure technique. The man reportedly refused to, uh, to be evaluated by a psychiatrist, and he avoided seeing outpatient uh, physicians. Um, it, it, the report does not mention how or why the man got tweezers stuck in his penis, but it does mention that in rare cases, men have been known to insert objects into their urethra for sexual gratification. Yeah, I know about this. It's called sounding. I can't even think about it. I don't understand why anyone would want to stick anything in their pee hole. I have had, you know, minor infections. Like, uh, you know, you get a little bit of dirt in there and then it burns when you pee. It's the most horrible feeling. It's so uncomfortable. Why would you want to irritate that area on purpose with anything, let alone a three-inch pair of tweezers? Just if you have that desire, just don't follow up on it. Not every desire has to be acted on. That's my takeaway from this story. Here's a very topical story from January of 2016. <laughs> now, I know you're thinking, Adam, you didn't even have a podcast in 2016. Uh, true. But I, was, I had the foresight to know that I would use this story somewhere, somehow. No, I, I actually found this story um, fairly recently, but it is from 2016. And it interested me because... I've thought about this a lot, and, and the topic is, how many friends, how many true friends can a person actually have? This comes up, obviously, because of Facebook and other social media. You know, I've got over 44,000 friends on Facebook, and people are always saying, like, how do you know Tim? And I'm like, I don't know Tim. I, Tim lives in Nebraska. He sent me a friend request once upon a time, and I said yes, or vice versa. You know, like, I, I don't. I don't know most of them. Um, but according to an actual study, the number of real friends, the number of people that you can uh, identify and, and have some kind of relationship with, the maximum number is 150. Now, 150 seems very high to me. Um, I definitely could not have 150 friends and do not. I probably, I probably have 20 to 25 true friends. I got a lot of acquaintances, a lot of people I enjoy seeing, talking to, hanging out with once in a while, friends on social media, so forth. But like in terms of people that I would go out to dinner with more than once, like 20, 25. But this 150 is known as Dunbar's number. It is a hypothesis first proposed in the 90s by an anthropologist named Robin Dunbar. And he suggests that our brain can only handle 150 close relationships. The rest of the people in our lives are acquaintances or people that we recognize on sight. I don't even recognize them on sight. I got facial blindness. I can't fucking tell who anyone is. By the way, this leads me to a, a bit of a tangent. When you reach out to me, you, whoever you are, when you reach out to me on social media, um, please assume that I don't remember who you are or how we met 
or if we've met or what previous conversations we've had. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a cunt, but you have to understand the volume of messages that I receive a day, especially since all of this coronavirus bullshit started. Everyone is going stir crazy and they're at home and they're bored and they're trying to reach out and it's great. I love that everyone's reaching out. If I didn't have that, I'd go out of my mind. But I, I just, I can't respond to everyone. And, you know, someone will send me like a video and they'll be like, doesn't this remind you of Johnson's? And I'm like, I don't know what that is. I don't know who you are. I, I don't want to work this hard. Help me out. You know, or don't send me anything. Better yet, just don't, don't send me anything I have to watch. I have enough to watch right now. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was an interesting story. So... Um, these are all out of order. So I had these in the order I wanted them. And then, as I said, I did the podcast and then I had to throw it away. So I have to reshuffle my papers. Okay. Here's something from BuzzFeed. We used to do a lot of stories from BuzzFeed. And I, I think I, I sort of forgot about them and I forgot to check. I like their – they have a lot of good lists, list stories. And you know I love a list. So um, here's one called 17 Famous Movie Scenes That Are Actually Problemat- Problematic as Hell. Now, most of these, you will note, are from the 80s. The 80s was a really fucked up time in American culture. It was my adolescence. I turned nine in 1980, and I graduated high school in 89. So that was like, that, that, that's exactly my adolescence. And it was a dark time. It was, the, you know, Reagan was president for most of that time, and then George Bush, the first. AIDS was a huge problem. Crack was a huge problem. Um, the disparity between rich and poor grew like never before. We were afraid the Russians were going to blow us up at any moment. And it, it, uh, it was a time when, you know, forget about political correctness. Like, there was just, like, deeply offensive things in pop culture that we, the, the, the white people, just sort of accepted as being okay when they were not. Um, and not just white people, but men. Uh, anyway, you'll see. So here's one. In the movie Never Been Kissed, the Drew Barrymore movie, her brother Rob, um, played by uh, David Arquette, pretends to be a high school student and starts dating a 16-year-old girl. Now, I will say in, in some defense of the movie, they never have sex. If I'm rem- remembering correctly, she's very, like, um, eager, and he kind of, like, holds off. I think they make out at one point, but I think that's as far as it goes. In any case, though, yes, a 23-year-old man and a 16-year-old girl, not okay. In the movie Miss Congeniality, when the pageant contestants contemplate eating pizza... Uh, Sandra Bullock's character, Detective Hart, justifies it with an eating disorder joke. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's bad. I I, I still see that kind of shit in movies. I, I, I think... <sighs> How do I feel about that? I mean, it's, it's a cheap laugh is what it is. It's a bad joke. Um, I think most... I, I've said this before, like... Pretty much all humor comes from some kind of pain or tragedy. So, uh, yeah, we're going to make fun of eating disorders. It's not it's not a funny topic, but sometimes you... Who knows? I'm moving on. In 16 Candles... 16 Candles is a, is a seriously problematic movie. And, by the way, one of my favorite movies, even given all of these serious flaws. 
um, Jake's girlfriend gets so drunk to the point of being unconscious, and he basically gives her to Ted to date rape. In exchange for uh, Molly Ringwald's panties, he gives her his completely unconscious girlfriend and says, go have fun with her. And Jake is the hero of the story, by the way. Jake is like the romantic lead who sweeps Molly Ringwald off her feet and who we're all rooting for. What's even more fucked up is that after it happens, the two of them wake up the next day, the girlfriend and Ted, and first of all, neither of them can remember what what happened, which is bullshit because Ted was not... Uh, Ted was conscious. Ted knew exactly what he was doing. He was driving a car. He was having conversations with people. He was very lucid. But suddenly he can't remember anything. But second of all, he says to her, uh, was I any good? Did you enjoy it? And she's like, it's crazy, but I think I did. What kind of message is that sending out to a generation of teen boys? I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. The other thing about 16 Candles is the character Long Duck Dong, one of the most racist stereotypes ever depicted on the big screen. Um, and, you know, no offense to Getty Watanabe, who played him. He was He's a brilliant actor. And again, it was funny, but it was seriously offensive. And at a time when, when Asian people were almost never seen in movies and TV, you finally have an Asian character, and it's Long Duck Dong, who, you know... Everything about it is problematic. Um, in The Devil Wears Prada, when Christian Thompson takes advantage of an inebriated Andy and refuses to take no for an answer. That's bullshit. Sorry. It's not how I saw the scene. Andy was lucid. Andy knew what she was doing. She made a decision to go to bed with Christian. He did not force himself on her. Uh, I call bullshit on that. In the movie Love Actually, Natalie's entire character is basically defined as being the chubby girl. Never saw Love, actually, but I have seen a lot of movies and TV shows where that's the case. Um, oh, this is one of the worst ones. In Breakfast at Tiffany's, when Mickey Rooney, a white man, plays Mr. Yuniyoshi, an incredibly racist stereotype of an Asian man, this is worse than Sixteen Candles because it's a white guy playing an Asian guy, but also it's so offensive. It's, it's like a – just – if you see a picture of Mickey Rooney in this role, you will be offended. The expression he's making, the teeth that they gave him, the makeup, and all through the movie, he just keeps saying, Miss Gorightry, I must protest. It's so bad. Uh, and it's an otherwise beautiful movie. I mean, that's the sad thing. It's a, it's a lovely movie except for that. Um, okay. In Greece, one of the most beautiful, fabulous movie musicals of all time, and really a movie that defines my childhood. I was seven years old when Grease came out. Um, but this is a problem in both the Broadway version and the Hollywood version. When everyone sings Summer Lovin', Kaniki asks, did she put up a fight? Implying that guys generally use force to hook up with women, and that women either put up a fight or they simply submit to the rape. Uh not not good. They should change that for future versions of Greece. Uh, in the movie Overboard, the entire plot revolves around Dean abducting Joanna after she gets amnesia and tricking her into thinking they were married. Okay, this one, I gotta say, I think it's unfair to put that on this list. Yes, it's a ridiculous premise. Amnesia 
is generally a ridiculous premise premise in movies, total amnesia. But but there's more to the story than that. Goldie Hawn's character is a total bitch who abuses this hardworking carpenter and refuses to pay him for his work. And he's trying to, to essentially get uh, revenge by having her work in his house as as a cook and a housekeeper and a nanny to his kids. He, he's, he doesn't have sex with her. He doesn't, you know, until they both fall in love. Um, but more importantly, the whole thing is just a ridiculous farce. It's not supposed to be taken seriously. She's not harmed. You know, what I, no. Okay, in Revenge of the Nerds, this is very similar to 16 Candles. Lewis, the nerd, pretends to be Betty's boyfriend, played by the very handsome Ted McGinley, and tricks her into having sex with him while he's wearing a mask, which is literally rape. And again, just like in 16 Candles, when Betty discovers that it's the nerd, that it's Keith Carradine and not, um, and not, or Keith Carradine or Robert Carradine, whatever that actor is, instead of Ted McGinley, she goes, Wow, you are wonderful. Are all nerds as good as you? And again, it's that reinforcing that, you know, if you rape a woman, she will, but you're really good at it. You know, if you're good at sex, then she will, she'll be happy afterwards. Terrible. We've talked about Revenge of the Nerds before, I think, and uh, I've actually been trying to get the actor who played Lamar Luttrell um, on the show because that was a really important character for me to see on the big screen during my formative years. Lamar Luttrell, the first openly gay black character on the screen, except for perhaps the guy who was in Car Wash. That was in the 70s. But definitely an early portrayal of a gay person of color, uh, certainly a young gay person of color. And Lamar was like a ridiculous stereotype, and we were meant to laugh at him. But he was also fully accepted by the other guys in the fraternity, and he was a very likable character. Um, and, you know, perfectly fine being gay, which was a very big deal in 1984 or whenever that movie came out. So Revenge of the Nerds definitely has its problems, but it also has some assets. Um, in Wedding Crashers, Vince Vaughn's character is woken up in the middle of the night, tied to a bed, and raped by Isla Fisher. I didn't see it. have to take their word for it. Um, and then Vince Vaughn tells his friend he was raped, but he's ignored because the assaulter was a woman. That does sound bad. Um, in Top Gun, Tom Cruise's character literally follows Charlie into the women's bathroom trying to make a move on her. That would be frowned upon now. In the Aristocats, the Disney movie, they had a Siamese cat play the piano with chopsticks shouting, Fortune cookie, always wrong. <sighs> Again, with the stereotypical Asian depictions. I, I mean, god damn it. It, it must it must be so frustrating for Asian people um, to, to to see that shit over and over and over again. And again, it's better now, but it's it's still there. In Soap Dish, okay, Soap Dish is again one of my favorite movies, um, and an otherwise great movie, except for this terrible, terrible flaw, which it shares, by the way, with Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, and that is that the trans character, Montana, uh, is, first of all, outed as being trans in a, in a form of revenge, but also she's the villain of the piece. She's the, the you know, horrible, cruel, mean-spirited bitch. And when 
you know, the men find out that she's trans, they're horrified and disgusted. And it's just the depictions of trans women in particular during the 80s was so shameful and has only recently started to be um, portrayed with any kind of sensitivity or accuracy. And finally, in Crazy Stupid Love, when the babysitter literally gives nudes to an eighth grader as his graduation present. I never saw that one. But so these are all problematic. And I guess my takeaway is, and, I, and you know, Ryan and I have talked about this in terms of Sherry Pie and RuPaul's Drag Race. Like, art is messy. Art is rarely perfect. And you rarely see something and go, everything about that was perfect. Uh, sometimes something can have redeeming value and still have some terrible shit in it. Just like people. That's what people are like. That's deep, man. I hope you appreciated my analysis just now, everyone. All right. We're almost done with this. Let's see what else we have. Oh. All right, I'll end with this. Uh, this is a story that I saved from October 24th, 2019. Uh, and I don't know why we never got to it, but it was after the, the sequel to It came out. And the headline is, help, we're being chased by a clown. Children found screaming after man dressed as Pennywise pursues them through forest. This is in the UK. People were called after, sorry, police were called after a man saw children being chased through a forest by a clown who looked like Pennywise. Jonathan Wood, a resident of Sandhurst, told local news outlet Surrey Live that he saw children screaming in the nearby woods as they ran away from a, from a man wearing a mask, the man claimed that the children pleaded with him for help when he saw the group fleeing from the clown as he was passing through Thibbet Woods while cycling on Sunday, October 20th. Yeah, I'm sure that's what he was doing, cycling. But Wood also said he threatened to call local police, and then the clown lifted its mask, and the children appeared to recognize the man underneath. Twist! Thames Valley Police confirmed in an email to Newsweek that the appearance of a man dressed as a clown was reported on Sunday at 3 p.m., but no crime had taken place. The kids were all about 12 years old. They were all boys. The, the man who uh, called the police said they seemed genuinely freaked out. Um, the Sandhurst man also claimed that the children told their pursuer, you scared the hell out of us, after appearing to recognize him. This is very strange. I, you know, the only takeaway from this is uh, don't chase children through the woods when you're dressed as a clown. Or ever, really. There's really no occasion on which you should be chasing children through the woods. Either as a, as a prank or for any other reason. And that's basically the end of my, my mini pod. Um, I hope the sound is good. I will literally kill myself if it doesn't this may be the last that you hear of me if the sound is bad because i've had it officially with working this hard for this podcast <laughs> okay thank you for listening i love you guys oh i know what i have to tell you this saturday at 11 a.m eastern tune in motherfuckers because uh dnr studio subscribers are going to hear um the fabulous, the amazing, the incandescent Peppermint. Peppermint from RuPaul's Drag Race and Broadway's Head Over Heels and Stages Throughout the World joins us. Um, it's a technically uh, problematic podcast, but it is, it's is—it's got great content. Lars Kelly, my Canadian comedian friend, also phones in, and this time he actually does phone in. So that is for subscribers. For those of you who don't subscribe, you'll be hearing a brand new episode with the legendary Miss Coco Peru. 
So either way, you can't lose on the Adam Sank Show this Saturday at 11. Um, you guys keep, leave me, keep leaving me those ratings and reviews on, uh, on iTunes or wherever else you listen. They make my rankings go up. Like the Adam Sank Show Facebook page. Email me, me at adam at adamsank.com. Stay well, stay healthy, keep social distancing, and I'll talk to you guys again soon. Bye.